to our families, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our classmates, and wherever we are. And Father, as we have a testimony of your goodness, Lord, that we will share that testimony with others. That by our example and by our words and by our stories, others will come to know the goodness of your love and the truth that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, we rejoice this morning. No matter what challenges might be ahead of us, no matter what struggles we might be currently going through, no matter if we're on the mountaintops or in the valley, Lord, we give you praise. And we do so with a heart full of gratitude and joy. We just ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 It is good to have you here this morning on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. What a perfect Sunday as we are reminded of the good things that we have of Thanksgiving to come and to worship our Lord and Savior. We are grateful that you are with us here today. We know that many of our church family are out traveling, visiting family, etc. And you are here. And if you are a new guest with us today, we just uh, appreciate you having here with us. We invite you after the service to connect with our connection team if you haven't done so already. We would like to get to know you a little bit better. But one of the things we like to do is to encourage us, and that's just a joyful part of our service, is to meet and greet one another. So we'll just give you a minute or two to do so and turn to your neighbor and give a high five, a hug. And I love it so much. I know. Yeah, it's like a like the computer throws like ten minutes. Yeah, but uh, it's good. It all worked out. Good, good. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I've been like getting like
you on the opportunity of generosity. Everyone say generosity. Everyone say gratitude. You know, really, out of gratitude, a heart of gratitude springs forth our heart of generosity, doesn't it? And all of us, I would say, that we have received great riches from our Lord and Savior. We have received good temporal blessings. For your love and for your work in each of our lives, for the promises and the hope that we have in our near future and for our eternal future. And Father, may our generosity bless you and promote your work right here in this place, in our church family, in this community, and even beyond around the world, in Italy and in Africa and other places. And Father, we're grateful for your love, your goodness, and your attention to us. And Father, may we return that in our service and in our generosity. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers are receiving this morning's offering, we have a few highlights from your program. Your program has them listed in here. Just wanted to keep you updated on some of the things that are taking place in December. This week, we have our women's Christmas party. December 5th, this Thursday. Ladies, you don't want to miss out on this awesome Christmas party. It's going to be at the Damascus campus. Make sure if you haven't gotten your information or signed up for it, to do so today. Men, not to leave you out, Saturday is our monthly men's breakfast. Okay, well that was a little paltry compared to the ladies' enthusiasm, but thank you for appreciating the excitement. Men, 8 o'clock, Gladstone campus, be there, we're going to have an awesome breakfast like we always do. We'll have a great uh, time of devotion and really a great time of connecting with our, at our tables with one another. The next one is we have a Christmas gathering, public and white elephant exchange for our 55 and older. All right. Okay, you don't get to go to that either, but that's all right. That's for our sword group and that's coming up December 7th as well. And then we have our special candlelight service, which is December 24th, Christmas Eve. And that's for everyone. And it'll be at the Gladstone campus as well. Make sure to put that on your calendar because of all the, just the Christmas uh, events that are going on. We would love to have you there. It's a great invite opportunity to bring your family or your friends or your neighbors to come and celebrate the birth of Christ and the truth that we have in Christ in that special candlelight Christmas Eve service. Amen. A lot of great stuff that's taking place and that's coming up this month. What a wonderful time of the year. I think we would all just, I think most of us would agree that, you know, the time from Thanksgiving to Christmas, it really is a, a blessed time of the year. Sometimes it can just get really busy and hectic with all of the events and special things that are taking place. And, all the expectations that may be on us to provide for certain events and parties and everything else. But it's also an opportunity for us to just step back and reflect, have gratitude, thankfulness, and worship in the spirit of joy and truth that comes with this set-aside time each year. Thanksgiving. And I hope that this last week you had an enjoyable time and a relaxing time 
of Thanksgiving with your families, wherever you were at, whether it was home, whether they had a big group or not. Well, I certainly did, and, and with our family, it was just our immediate family that was together. And you know, one of the things about our Thanksgiving traditions and our meal is that we kind of have the same meal, the same foods every single, every single Thanksgiving. And in fact, we look forward to them, and, and Charlene is our primary cook. In fact, she does like 95% of all the work. And, when, and she, if she would deviate from any of her recipes, I think it would probably all disappoint us because we like those certain things. It even starts with the appetizers. In my family, we have an appetizer. We wrap bacon around these green olives and bacon and olives, and we fry them. Not fry them, we bake them. And they are, they are addicting and delicious. Uh, I grew up with them, something my mom had, and we had it every single Thanksgiving. This year, however, we would normally make a big tray of them, and there might be, I don't know, 50 to 70 some bacon wrapped olives, and I would eat like 50 of them. <laughs> but this year, because of my health issues and trying to be better, I'm cutting back on certain fatty, salty things, which that's all fat and all salt. I had to limit it to about five or six. It was really hard. But it left more room for turkey and gravy for sure. But our, our Thanksgiving dinner, it just has to be a certain way. We look forward to it, we anticipate it, and Charlene always delivers. We've got foods, of course, the traditional foods of sweet potatoes, turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy. But she makes a green corn. We've got this pink stuff, we call it. It's a cherry and whipped cream salad thing. I don't even know what they call it. Anyhow, it's good. And her rolls, she makes her own rolls. Anyhow, our Thanksgiving dinner is just so satisfying and delicious. And the leftovers are great as well. But none of that would happen if our primary cook said, you know what, I'm tired of all the work of the shopping and the planning and the prep and the cook and the dishes and the decorations. I'm kind of tired of that. I want to sit around and, and read the paper and watch the parade and watch the football game just like you. Well, what would our Thanksgiving be like without her loving service to us? Well, if it was left to me, it would be Kentucky Fried Chicken and tacos from Taco Bell. That's probably what we would get. And it just wouldn't be the same. It is through her love, her loving service to us as a family that we enjoy a wonderful Thanksgiving tradition. And I would guess that's probably the same with you and your families and your Thanksgiving get-togethers. And there's probably one primary cook. There may be some others who help. It may be a mom, a grandma, or maybe a dad. I don't know who cooks, but whoever's there's probably one primary person that makes sure that everything comes together. And they do so not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of love. Love to serve their family. I think we can all give thanks and appreciate their gift of service this morning. Their the abundant and delicious food that they provided and the joy that we celebrate on Thanksgiving Day with our family and our friends. In fact, whether they are here or not, let's just give them a round of applause of thanks for providing for us a Thanksgiving Day. Amen. We appreciate their service, don't we? Well, this morning's passage in John chapter 13 is really the topic is about service. And, uh, but I, I think the question that I have for you this morning is this. When it comes to service, 
What is more difficult for you? To give service to another or to receive service from another? It's kind of an interesting question. I think we all kind of have a tendency on what we may uh, prefer or what we may dislike. You know, for me, I would say my tendency is I'm okay with receiving service from another. I am certainly okay if Charlene says, I want to work all week long for my Thanksgiving meal. I am happy to enjoy that Thanksgiving meal. But for others, uh, it may be, you know, I prefer to give service, to provide the service. And it may be a little bit harder to receive service. If you've ever been in need or in need of help, and certainly in areas where you were used to being able to take care of yourself and you needed someone else's assistance or help, sometimes that can be a little bit harder to do, to receive service. Because it puts us in a certain position. Maybe we don't like feeling that way. Or maybe on the other side of giving service, maybe we don't want to go through the work or take the time because it's not fulfilling our particular needs. Well, I think this morning we're going to explore a passage in this Gospel of John, chapter 13, where we will see how Jesus demonstrated, kind of highlighting these two issues of giving service and receiving the service, but how there's really a theology of service. Everyone say theology of service. And this morning's title of this passage is called Tao Service. In verses 1 through 17. Let's turn there. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. I'll start with those verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word this morning, and it may be a familiar passage, Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit will illuminate this story and the truths that are there so that we will have a greater understanding and a greater opportunity to live and to serve according to your word. Father, that we will always be obedient to what you have commanded us to 
and that we will receive the blessings from this obedience. Father, we're just grateful this morning for this opportunity to explore this passage today. And Father, may your word return to us full of hope and life, encouragement and instruction. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A familiar passage. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. At first, you may say, well, you know, here it's a story we all know. Why do we need to share it again? We know that Jesus washes disciples' feet, and it's an encouragement to us to do likewise. But I believe there's a lot that we can unfold from this passage, in this story, in this example that Jesus gave. And I hope that as we kind of unpack and explore some levels of truth that are there, that it won't just be, yes, I know I should do this, I know I should serve more, or I should serve but we will also understand the theology of service that Jesus wants to transform us in. You know, to understand this passage and many others, it's helpful to have a cultural understanding of what is taking place. For the Jews and for Middle Eastern culture in that time, and even for the Middle East culture today, uh, washing someone's feet or their feet was a very significant uh, part of their body or significant in other ways. In fact, certain body parts had significance all throughout the body. We understand the head has significance, feet have, feet have significance, hands have significance, the mouth and the tongue have significance, and here Jesus watching feet has cultural significance. And it goes really to the Middle Eastern understanding of social hierarchy and social status and the understanding of who did certain jobs and who did certain tasks in society. Certainly there were citizens, there were Jews by birth and by citizenship. There were Roman citizens, there were Gentiles of all the other nations and tribes. And there were the elite, those who were rulers and the wealthy and the religious leaders. They were privileged. There were soldiers who were hired mercenaries. Maybe some of them were Roman citizens, most of them were not. There were merchants, there were farmers and ranchers, manual laborers, and at the very bottom of the social ladder were the slaves. There were Jewish slaves and there were Gentile slaves within uh, uh, the time. And washing one another's feet was a, an act of hospitality and a, a one of service to another that was reserved only for the lowliest of slaves. In fact, even in Jewish culture, to wash one's feet, a Jewish slave within a household or a family or a clan was not permitted to wash another Jew's feet because that was beneath them. Only Gentile slaves would be ones who would wash another's dirty, disgusting feet. To take off the sandals, to wipe down the dirt and the grime and the muck that was there, and to present them with clean feet. And I think the first point that I, I think we can unfold here under service and in this story of what Jesus is doing to the disciples is really about his leadership and, and it's a, an expression for us in a leadership, not only style, but I believe it is the, the leadership model for all of us. And that is Jesus demonstrated servant leadership. Everyone say servant leadership. Servant leadership. It goes against the natural or the world's 
expectation and role of leadership from all time. Those who have influence and power over others rule over others to their benefit. We see that across cultures around this world, across uh, generations. That is the world's understanding of power, of leadership, and influence. Everyone beneath you serves your goals, your wishes, your desires. Jesus flips that leadership role of servant leadership. The disciples also, they needed another lesson, even though Jesus had shared this before with them, because they were still jockeying for position to be the greatest, the most honored, to be the most influential of Jesus' disciples. And I refer back to Matthew chapter 20 and verses 24 to 28, where the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, she approached Jesus and she had a request of which one would sit on Jesus' right hand and on his left, signifying a place of honor and prestige and influence among Jesus' disciples. And pick it up in verse 24, when the other ten had heard of this discussion, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Servant leadership. Again, Jesus has to emphasize and has to demonstrate this principle, this truth principle, with his disciples. Because they are going to carry on not only the truth of his words, but the attitude and the lives of truth, and he needs to share this with them again. And I sometimes think with the disciples, Jesus shares the same thing with them over and over again. How could they never get it on this issue and many others? Well, all I have to do is think about myself. How many times do I forget and forget and forget and have to be reminded of the truth and the principle over and over again? I think it's human nature. And I think the Bible explores and uh, our human nature reveals our human nature. We kind of see it here. Jesus gives them this powerful life example of servant leadership. And what does this mean, servant leadership? Well, Jesus is the head. We understand that. Ephesians 4 and 5. The head is known as the source of life, the source of superiority and authority over another. It's figurative in that way. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, as we know. The source of life, the authority, and the superiority over all believers from generation to generation. We also know that the head, in Jesus' example here, he is the head, is stooping to the feet, to serve the feet. And the foot is not only the lowest part of our body, but figuratively, figuratively is the lowliest part of our body. It represents defeat, submission, and uncleanliness. And that is why it was reserved only for the lowliest of slaves to wash another's feet. 
Jesus the head is stooping to another's feet. His disciples, bending on his knees, taking his garments off, taking the towel wrapped around his waist. He's assuming a position of servanthood, as a servant, and washing in the most menial task in their culture at that time. The head serving the feet. And actions matter. To serve is just not an idealistic thought. It's just not words of what I will do or I will do this or you should or should do this. His actions matter. He took action and it made a difference. He could have said the truth. He did that many times, but he chose to be an example and to act through. To serve is not an idealistic thought, but rather it's dirty, gritty action. You know, I think of moms in their love and their service to their families and to a newborn child. You can say you love this newborn child all you want, but if you don't perform the nitty gritty, smelly, stinky action of caring for that newborn, many of us would say, well, that's not really love. Moms care for those little newborns with the vomit, with everything else that takes place where you need a gas mask to change diapers. Believe me, with three children, I've seen some blowouts that are historic. You know what I mean. Where no matter what size diaper you got, it wasn't gonna hold what was coming out. It's that nitty gritty action that really defines the love and the service of a mother and a father, isn't it? Not just in the flowery words that we say, but the actions that we share and that we do. And then the last thing with the servant leadership is to have a position of authority and honor. You must demonstrate service to all. Jesus gave us that example. That he was willing to get on his knees and assume the role of a servant. The head of all sorts of life and authority and superiority stooped to the feet. The second point that I think that we can see here in chapter 13 is that Jesus demonstrates the significance of his death through sacrificial obedience. Again, we're kind of unfolding the layers of truth that are in this passage. That Jesus demonstrates that there is significance of his death through sacrificial obedience. And there's a few phrases that I want you to underline in your Bible if you have them here today, because I think they're kind of key. And it starts with verse, um, starts with verses four and five. And let me just read those to you. He said, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The words I want you to underline is laid aside in verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments. Jesus is sharing with his disciples, and we get a glimpse of it today, of what this act is really symbolizing and what he's referring to. Not just an act of service and hospitality, but he is referring to his final act of service and love 
to the disciples in the coming hours. He is referring to his death on the cross, his torture, and his willingness to go on the cross, take the sins of humanity out of love and out of joy to serve for the disciples and for us as well. Jesus lays aside his outer garment, is symbolic of his laying aside his life. And in John chapter 10, verse 18, and there's other passages where he refers to this as well, of laying aside his life. In John chapter 18, he says, no one takes it from me, talking about his, uh, his death, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Symbolically, as Jesus lays his garment down, takes up the towel, in the coming hours, he is going to willingly lay down his life out of service and love and devotion to us. He takes on the he takes on the role of, of humanity. When he is privileged in his role as the Son of God, who always was and always will be, and yet he came in God incarnate as a child. And he lived his life, he grew in stature, and he ministered and taught us and healed and performed and gave us instruction about the kingdom of heaven. But his role and his purpose was that he would serve. And he said that. He came to serve, to lay down his life for the ransom of many. And he is fulfilling what he is saying here today. And we read it in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11 again, where the Apostle Paul affirms what Jesus did and laid down his, laid down his role and rights and privileges as the Son of God to take on the form of humanity. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. He humbled himself to the Father's will, and the Father exalted him. Jesus is demonstrating this, this leadership, this servanthood, this sacrificial obedience to his disciples. We get a few other key things in this passage about Jesus demonstrating his significance uh, in his coming and death, what it may mean to them. And he says this in verses 6 through 7, and let me uh, take you back to that. 
And he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. But afterward. I would underline that. Peter didn't understand what was going on. He just saw this as an act of hospitality. They're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus said there's something more than just me washing your feet today. You are partaking in my gift of sacrificial obedience that I am about to undertake. He says, you may not fully understand now, but afterward, you will. And then we also see in verse 8, let me share with that. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And I want you to underline that phrase, you have no share or no part with me. Because it's more than just simply not allowing or refusing to allow Jesus, his teacher and master, to wash his feet. But he is spurting Jesus' personal gift of spiritual cleansing. This is more than just a physical foot-washing cleansing. Jesus is inviting his disciples and Peter to be a part of his spiritual cleansing. You know, the Greek expression here in this phrase, meros, share or part of him, that phrase, share of him or part of him, means more than just having fellowship with Jesus, but rather it is closer to the Hebrew word, belek which describe the heritage God has promised to Israel. So in rejecting Jesus' offer, he is turning away, he is spurning his heritage and giving up those riches that can only be received through Christ's sacrificial gift. He will lose out on his inheritance and the heritage of being a part of Christ's spiritual gift and blessing. He had difficulty receiving initially, but he understood enough and trusted Jesus enough that once Jesus said, you will have no part or no share with me, then he said, no. Well, then not only my feet, my head, my hands as well. Jesus said, no, your feet is sufficient. And then we go to the third piece of instruction I think we can find here in this passage and reading on from verses 12 through 17. And we see that Jesus not only demonstrated this powerful truth, but he said it directly so that there is no misunderstanding of what he wanted to share. Let's read verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one he sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them. He teaches them exactly the meaning behind this action. And he says, do you understand what I have done to you? He wants them to clearly understand with no misunderstanding of what his actions represent. 
And that his actions are significant. It is more than just a simple act, but it is an invitation into Jesus' heritage, his spiritual cleansing and his blessing that will follow. To be partakers of servant leadership and to live their lives as sacrificial obedience. And the big takeaway truth in verses 14 through 15 is, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Washing one another's feet. And I believe that's more than just a physical act of, of service, but it is a lifestyle change that he wants the disciples to take on one person. And it is a daily submission one to another of lifting up one another's deeds above their own that Jesus is calling them to. And then in verse 17, he closes this part out with a promise. And he says this, if you know these things, know is to understand and apply. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What blessing they will receive if they follow and know and understand and apply it and act out in obedience as Jesus has called them to. Blessed are you if you do. I would underline do. Many know, few do. We want to do. Again, it's an action of love and service and obedience. And I think serving here is one another is more than just volunteering, more than just pitching in to help out, more than taking on a task or a role, whether it's within our church family or in the community or serving those in need. That's a part of it, but it's more than that what Jesus is calling us to. And I think we are all grateful of one another as we serve one another within our church family. This service, all that takes place wouldn't happen if there were not many hours of service, of ministry done by many of you. We wouldn't have sound and media. We wouldn't have kids being served in Baby Town and Toddler Town and Kids Church. We wouldn't have donuts and coffee. We wouldn't have chairs set up. We wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't because of the ministry and the service of one another that we share. And we are grateful for one another. And look, let's do that. Let's give a round of applause to one another for their service. Yeah. services, whether it's the Wichita dinner and the, the awesome team that comes out and serves our community there, or whether it's in homeless feeds or other service opportunities that come up, or special events. It all requires someone, most of us, many of us, to serve one another. And that is a characteristic, it is the action, it is the nitty-gritty to make sure that there is an opportunity of fellowship and ministry and service. And we are blessed because of it when we do that. Blessed are you to those who set up the chairs this morning in the stage. Blessed are you to those who are going to clean up and tear down everything after this is over. And that happens week after week after week. Blessed are you. But again, this serving is more than just acts of service and volunteering. It is a Christ like transformation in who we are, 
and how we view ourselves, and how we view and treat others. Let me say that again. This passage is more than just acts of service and doing things here and there and volunteering. It is Christ-like transformation in who we are, how we view ourselves, and how we view and treat others. How can we be obedient to Christ's command? He gives us in the first part of this passage where we see the foundation is love. Is love. Christ shared, or it was shared that he loved his disciples in the first few verses. And we emulate Christ's love uh, that he had towards the disciples. We emulate that for one another. And he will soon state in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Foundation is love. It's not religious duty. It's not earning our position or our, our right to something or checking off the do list, the religious do list. The foundation is love. How else can we become obedient to his command? We are compelled to action through obedience. We are obedient to what he calls us to. Pastor Dave shares all the time that we, Hillside, we celebrate obedience. Obedience to his word. Obedience to the Holy Spirit speaking and directing and calling us. And how much more can clear can message can we get when Jesus commands us to serve one another as he has served? We can also take a position of humility which is thinking less, not less worth, but less priority, of ourselves, our needs, our hurts, and our desires. Taking a position of humility. When Jesus took that position of humility as servant, was there less value, less authority, less power in, the, in Jesus? No. This isn't about a worth and value. Many times people say, use humility, and we think of just demeaning or devaluing ourselves. That is not it at all. It is just thinking less of our priorities and our needs and our desires and our wishes and elevating and making a priority in the needs and the wishes of others. Taking a position of humility. And then we engage in daily action to live in love through submitting to one another. Ephesians 5 and Philippians 2, that passage I read as well, and many others are great passages that again affirm this message that Jesus shares here. But the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, he starts with, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then the following verses, Paul instructs believers in how they should live, how they are to conduct themselves, how to treat one another, to be wise, sing praises with one another, give thanks. And then he concludes with this in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit one to another. 
And we say that, we read that, we understand that, but sometimes just in our interactions with one another, personality differences, challenges, struggles, whatever it happens to be, that can be a difficult action and position to take to submit one to another. Because our natural tendency is, I am right, or my way is what I want, not someone else's. Submitting one to another promotes harmony, promotes love, and when we are obedient to God's word and submitting one to another, God is honored, and God will elevate and lift us up at the right time. So daily action, to walk in love, to submit to one another, it's not natural for any of us, and it goes against ourselves. And it requires God's grace, iron favor, and it means extending forgiveness and mercy, and it means not necessarily always getting our way, and it may mean lowly, performing lowly acts of menial service to others in our daily action to walk in love. But when we follow Christ's commands to serve one another, we have a promise of God's blessing. We get his approval, we get his acknowledgement, we get, we get to have a sense of fulfillment and joy and happiness. And there will be a reward. Sometimes there will be a, an immediate reward that we see here on earth, but there will be an eternal reward always as we are obedient to his commands. I'm not going to invite the praise and worship team to come on up. I see that there are two challenges, two obvious challenges in this text. And the challenges are, like Peter, do you struggle with accepting Jesus' gift of service? And I would say there's an initial acceptance. And we would say that is someone who comes to faith and trusts in Jesus for the very first time. Do we struggle with accepting Jesus' gift of service? Of accepting that he died on the cross for the benefit of, of us, that he paid the penalty for our sin. That yes, we are unclean. We are undeserving of God's holiness, his righteousness. We are undeserving of his love and the eternal life and being in his presence. But God's but Christ's sacrificial obedience and his willingness to go on the cross is that great gift that he offers to each and every one of us. Maybe you are here today and you haven't received Christ's gift of sacrificial obedience. I would invite you to take that, take that gift this morning. You know, there are many friends, and you've probably had these conversations too with others. As a pastor over the years, I would say, hey, you should come to church with me. And many of my unsaved friends, some even proclaimed atheists, they meant, oh, well, I need to get my act together first before I come to your church. And I'm like, you don't need to get anything together. Your feet are dirty. My feet are dirty. Jesus washes all of them. And I think there's an ongoing foot washing that Jesus wants to do for us. Because daily we're walking through the dirt and the mud. Jesus wants to uh, cleanse us on a daily basis. Do we go to Christ and accept his gift of grace and mercy? 
in his service. I think it's an opportunity for us to do so, to receive his gift. Not only today, but in the days to follow. And when we receive his gift, we respond with gratitude, worship, generosity, and service. And then the second key truth that I think we can apply and challenge that we have in our life today is that are you striving to serve one another as Jesus commanded? It can't get more clear than Jesus' example, his demonstration, and his teaching of how we as followers and disciples of Christ, how we are to live our daily lives. Not just to sign up and volunteer, but to be transformed 24-7 from the core in through our actions and words out of who we are and how we view others and how we engage with our families, our neighbors, co-workers, and one another. We're going to enter into a time of our communion, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to kind of put it into a, a worshipful part of obedience, of expression of communion with this passage. Because communion is both a vertical remembrance in time of worship, we remember Christ, His work, what He has done for us. And we can be mindful of the demonstration of Jesus' service, of washing His disciples' feet. And we can be mindful of Jesus' ultimate act of sacrificial obedience, of willingly going to the cross on our behalf. That is a vertical worship and reminder. The communion is also an opportunity to be as a horizontal reminder that we are called to love one another. And as we partake in communion, we are not doing so isolated individuals, but we are doing so as the family of God and the body of Christ. He is the head. At this time, we're going to have you stand. We're going to have you come forward down the aisles and, and partake of the, and take the communion elements. The cracker and the juice representing Christ's body and his blood. If you'll return to your seats, standing, we will continue with communion. Let's go ahead and receive the communion elements now.
for your love and service to us. We're grateful that you've given us one another to express love and service and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Father, as we take this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim you until you return. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. we close let's just worship with this song and then we'll be dismissed Thank you. 